and welcome to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here with Dr. Julia Lindsay, author of Reading Above the Fray. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here. Great. So Julia, before we begin, can you tell me about your literacy journey? Yes, absolutely. Um, I got very excited about reading in college when I started interning with the Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools um, as a servant leader intern in their uh, Freedom Schools program in the summers. And I just fell in love with uh, helping kids learn about reading and feel joy about reading um, and decided to become a teacher um, at that time and then taught um, kindergarten and first grade in New York City, um, and then went on to get my PhD at the University of Michigan because I really wanted to understand more about what was happening with children and how we could support their reading even more. Um, so I went to the University of Michigan to work with Nell Duke. Um, and while I was there, I realized pretty soon that I had had a lot of similar experiences to many teachers when I was um, trying to teach reading. So when I was uh, in my first couple of years of teaching and students would get 100% on a phonics test and they would get 100% on a listening comprehension test around a book. And then I would go into um, what I taught at the time was guided reading and I just couldn't see actual reading happening. And kids would get stuck on words that I thought seemed kind of easy or they would be in a book that I thought was on their level, but then they couldn't read any of the words. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't really quite make sense to me, but I didn't really know what to do about it. Um, and so I you know, just followed the advice of those around me and, and kept kind of going. Um, and I got to graduate school and I found out, oh my goodness, many teachers across the country um, are experiencing this weird disconnect between read aloud, phonics, and then actually having kids experience reading themselves where they're bringing all these skills together um, and having the chance to apply phonics and, and read actual words, but also um, bringing to bear their ability to comprehend those texts. Um, and this kind of inspired me and got me very excited about trying to better understand what we could do to support kids in those early moments of trying to bring all those skills together um, and applying especially those foundational skills in the service of becoming readers. Wow, I mean, it is amazing. And I can tell you right now that there are a lot of teachers that are perk their ears up because <laughs> they feel just like you, they don't quite know what to do. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a system, right? There is there is a code to be learned. In fact, you know, your tagline to your book uh, is reliable research-based routines for developing decoding skills. What exactly even do we mean when we say decoding? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so decoding is, uh, to be honest, it is like the golden ticket into getting kids to become independent readers. So when we say decoding, what we mean um, is applying everything we know about sounds and spellings to a word in order to say what that word is out loud. Uh, and what this means in practice uh, can look as small as a child looking at a word like cat and being able to say at for each of those letters and then blending that together and saying the word cat aloud or in their head if they're reading um, silently, or it can be much more advanced where we're putting together morphemes in a multi-syllabic, multi-morphemic word um, and, try and adding those all together in order to read a much more complicated word like um, 
Tyrannosaurus or something like that um, that might go on much far beyond what we experience in those early years of reading. And decoding is so cool and it's so exciting because what it does is it allows children to take knowledge that they've learned in a phonics lesson and the systematic experiences that they have with our spelling system and, and also phonemic awareness, that ability to hear and blend sounds together and apply it to words and contexts and figure out all on their own what that word is. For a long time in the history of uh, education, we weren't really quite sure how we recognize words and how this process happens. Now we know for certain that humans recognize words by looking at each individual letter, even if it's taking a millisecond, even if it's beyond uh, our conscious awareness because we're fluent readers. So when we are encouraging kids to decode and to look at individual letters and use those letters to match to sounds that we've taught them that those correspondences exist, then we have children who can read tons and tons of words all on their own. Um, and then in the short term, that's pretty exciting. It's actually the most efficient and effective route to recognizing a brand new word is using decoding skills. It's also the best thing that we know of to lead to long-term uh, automatic word recognition because decoding a word over and over again helps create uh, what's called an orthographic map or a mapping between a spelling, a pronunciation, and a meaning in our brains that allow us to automatically recognize words. Current research does not suggest that if we guess at words that we are able to get to this orthographic mapping or to automatic word recognition nearly as quickly as if we're decoding words. And decoding um, also allows us to recognize more patterns in language because we're really paying attention to those spellings and the sounds that they represent. So overall, decoding is this kind of golden ticket because it allows children to understand what that word is on the page in the moment in the most efficient and effective way. And it allows them to build towards having a huge, huge amount of words that they can automatically recognize so that they can become fluent readers in the long term too. That is absolutely, I, to use your word, cool. <laughs> so when we think about, um, you know, decoding, I'll tell you when, when you hear that word, oftentimes you hear that word connected to decodable texts, right? Mm -hmm. There are lots of different types of text, as we know, decodable text, leveled readers, you know, trade books, like what do these terms mean? And, you know, how can teachers use them? Yes, there are a lot of books out there and terms that we use to categorize books that might or might not be helpful for us. Um, the term I'll focus on is decodable texts, which is a term that doesn't necessarily have a meaning. It might change based on who you're talking to. But if we look at the, what it means from research, it normally means a book that's about, um, that has a high proportion of words that a child can read based on the sound spelling correspondences that they've learned and the high frequency words that they know. Um, and generally we think that if you have a book that's about 80% decodable words or high frequency words, that that's a book that most children can access as a decodable text. So that's kind of like the baseline of what a decodable text is. The purpose of these texts is to give children the opportunity to practice decoding. Oh. Um, so as I was just saying, decoding is this really exciting experience, and it's pretty obvious to many of us how that experience operates in a phonics lesson. If I'm teaching children that um, SH is a digraph, and when those two letters come together, they say shh, and I give them a bunch of words to read in isolation, that's practicing decoding. 
but we can't stop there. We need to give children the opportunity to apply that in a meaningful context. And that's where decodables come in. We, if we give children a decodable text with a whole bunch of words that start with the digraph SH, then they have the opportunity to apply that phonics knowledge in a context where they're decoding lots of words and solidifying their understanding. They're also more likely than in other texts to be successful in reading each word um, without having to rely on you. So one of my favorite studies about decodables found that children are less likely to rely on teacher prompts and more likely to be accurate when they're reading a decodable text that's matched to their phonics knowledge. To me, as, as an educator, that's a win right there is a more sure. independent reader is exactly what we want. So the purpose of these texts is to solidify that decoding knowledge in context. And if we keep that in mind, it helps us understand a little bit more why sometimes these texts seem a little weird um, or maybe are not as natural as we would want. So how do leveled readers kind of, you know, how do they compare to like a decodable mm -hmm. text or those trade books that we that are out there in the world? So leveled texts were created from a completely different framework. Leveled texts were created um, from a framework that thought about reading might operate as sort of a psychological guessing game. Um, so they came out of a, a movement in the 70s that really thought that the way that readers interact with words was by mostly using context in order to estimate what a word is. So level text, especially those at the very beginning levels, were designed to help children recognize some high frequency words and then use context around them to guess. That's a completely different experience than needing to use letters in order to decode words. And as you might guess, to use a, a bad word there, um, <laughs> leads children to a really different experience of reading and um, demonstrates to kids that reading is a different thing than what we, um, what we actually know it is. So level text kind of indicate to a child that reading is a lot about guessing and that they don't necessarily need to pay attention to the words while decodables help a child understand, oh, reading is about applying all of this knowledge that I have in a systematic fashion in order to discover what a word is by using letters and sounds. And I can do that all on my own, no matter what the context is and no matter what adult is around me. Sure. And then trade books are generally a term that we use to talk about more authentic texts that probably you're not quite ready to read when you're uh, just learning how to handle words in front of you, um, but that are an awesome place for children who are a little further along in their reading journey to experience much more authentic texts that can build their background knowledge or can just be fun. Sure. Awesome. That's, well, thank you for that explanation. It makes sense. You know, we at Learning Without Tears, we have a program called Phonics Reading in Me and another program called A to Z from Matman in Me, and we call our books multi-criteria text. Uh, so they're decodable for sure. So that you mentioned that 80%, um, you know, readability. Mm -hmm. um, so they have those, um, you know, high frequency words. It also has fo a focus on either whatever letter we're learning or whatever phonics skills we're talking about. But it also does, we call it multi-criteria uh, because it does more than one thing. So it also focuses on social emotional learning and things of that sort. So, so thanks for that. I appreciate that. So what are some of the questions that teachers have when it comes to decodable text? Well, you just brought up a big one, which the first question that teachers always bring up is, well, are decodables going to be weird? Are they going to be like the mat and the rat sat and pat each other? Like, what is the sentence going to sound like? Right. And so multiple criteria texts are a great example of a step that most 
folks in research and many people in publishing have taken beyond um, just talking about decodability. So when you see a decodable text, it um, it's kind of up to you to figure out if it's of high quality. And we know that people are working on creating texts that are not just decodable. You just gave a great example. I also have a website called beyonddecodables.com where I have about 60 free decodable texts that aren't just decodable either. What I did was look at what does the research say about what do kids need to be able to be excellent readers that's not just about decodable words. So I include things like lots of high frequency words because we know kids need a lot of exposure to those words that we're going to see more than any other word in, in language in written context. Sure. I included natural language and syntax because we know that we need to be reading books that sound natural, like spoken language, especially for children who are English learners, to support their understanding of the entire book and to be able to fluently get through a text. Um, I also include some uh, science and social studies topics and vocabulary words aligned to that to support the understanding that reading is a meaningful task. So even though we're working really hard to decode individual words, we're not doing so in a way where we think, this has no purpose and this has no meaning. And so all of these things together are things that we can attend to in decodable text. And so when, if you're starting out on this journey and you're asking yourself, do my students need to read these weird books that don't make sense? The answer is no, there are better decodable texts out there and we can ensure that decodables are part of an experience that children have where they recognize that reading is meaningful and joyful, not just about word recognition while forefronting for early readers that word recognition is a critical skill that sure. we have to practice in order to survive to succeed um some of the other questions that come up are very well related like will this make readers hate reading um and i think that that again kind of relates to what kinds of books you're picking and sure. is also we do also know from research that children are not <laughs> hating these texts, children are really enjoying them. And a personal anecdote was um, my, a lot of my research took place in the Boston public schools where we implemented a whole lot of decodable texts in first grade. And I had the pleasure of going to visit classrooms that were using these texts. And um, I will never forget walking into a first grade classroom and being introduced as the author of the decodables that they were reading and having a child literally get out of her chair and run across the room to me and beg me to tell me her what happened next in the series that she was reading that was decodable text but it was oh. still a series and it was so meaningful that she really wanted to know what adventure the characters went on next so that to me is not an indicator of a kid who doesn't love reading that is an incredible experience. And that's what, what, what an awesome thing to experience as an author, but mm -hmm. I mean, that little reader that you, you really hooked her for sure. Indeed. So how can teachers select good decodable text? What are some strategies for them to use? Yeah. So the first thing to know is that just because somebody says a book is decodable doesn't mean it's decodable for your students. That's the most important starting point. Um, so most decodable texts are written aligned to someone's scope and sequence in phonics. So if you go to um, company A and they also have a phonics scope and sequence, their decodable texts are probably aligned to that scope and sequence. But maybe you use phonics from company B, but they don't even have decodable texts. So what are you supposed to do in that situation? So you can look at the texts from other organizations and companies, and you can match them to your own scope and sequence and see how much of this is in alignment and how much of it is not. 
you might have to go word by word, or you might be able to look more broadly at what they say each book contains in order to make some decisions. But that's always going to be the first step, um, especially when it comes to high frequency words, because we know everybody has different ideas about which high frequency words and in what order to teach them. Sure. Then the second step is, of course, to make sure that you feel good about the books, that they feel meaningful to you, that you think that they would excite the students in your class, that the students you're putting in front of them are going to be interested and excited about the particular topic that you're reading, um, or it's going to extend their knowledge in some way. So always taking those two lenses at a minimum to the text in front of you um, are, is a one way to start selecting good decodable texts. That's those are really great strategies to think about um, when you're trying to select good decodable text. So when we think about how we apply these decodable texts uh, in the classroom, mm -hmm. what does good teaching look like or sound like uh, when it comes to using decodable text? I love this question. Um, so the first thing to know is it's not gonna look or sound exactly like a typical guided reading lesson, um, mm -hmm. if that's what you're used to. So just knowing that it's not going to be the case, that it's as easy as just swapping out decodables for those same lessons that you might have taught using a different style of text. Remember what the purpose of these books is, is in applying phonics into uh, actual book reading. So the first thing to know is again from my research um, in Boston, which we found that teachers who directly connected kids' memories and their these little bodies and little minds need a little extra help and explicit help sometimes, connected them right back to their phonics lessons, had kids who were more successful long-term in their reading outcomes. So if we say things like, okay, we just learned about this digraph. What does this digraph spell again? What sound is this? Let's read it in a couple of words. Let's spell a couple of words with it. Now let's read this book. And guess what? I bet you're going to use that skill that we just learned while we're reading this book. That actually is supportive of children reading that book in the moment. And as I said, seems to be supportive of reading over time. Sure. That, so that's one great strategy is to think about how are you making these connections so that it's transparent for children instead of trying to make it some mysterious activity that we've come to this reading table and we have to guess how we're supposed to use these skills. Sure. The second way that it's going to sound is that you're going to be prompting in slightly different ways. So you might find yourself saying more things like, take a look at the word again, or let's say each sound and slide through the sounds again, or hmm. We just learned when those two letters come together, they make a new sound. What sound is that going to be? Sure. Or you might just go straight for telling. Um, we see an E on the end of this word. That's going to change the vowel sound. So this new vowel sound is, and then giving a little bit more support like that. So you might find yourself using prompts like that and less prompts about pointing out towards a picture or using other um, contexts that might support guessing, but really drawing kids' back, attention back to the letters on the page. And the last way that it's going to sound that might be the most um, strange of a shift is really in thinking about those questions that you ask after a text. So most decodable texts that you're going to pick because you know how to pick ones that feel good and interesting um, are going to have enough context for you to ask some comprehension questions about, yeah. but they're unlikely to be the place that you're going to get deep digging into all of the all of the standards and all of the other skills that you need to do in comprehension. So you might realize that you are doing a little bit more of that work in read aloud or in shared readings or in other contexts, um, because sometimes you might not be able to get all of that in just one little decodable text. And that's okay. Um, and you 
just have to recognize that these texts have a particular purpose and that's uh and to use them towards that purpose is uh, a smart teacher move awesome well julia it has been an absolute pleasure if you're sharing all these wonderful practical ideas and really help help us really understand what um, and how to use a decodable text. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thanks so much for having me. I hope um, all of this helped a little bit understand all the decoding information out there. Sure, and Julie, before we leave, why don't you give us that website one more time for your free resources? Sure, it's beyonddecodables.com. Um, I think if you search it on Google, you can probably find it as well. Um, and the book is called Reading Above the Fray and it's available everywhere books are sold and there's a lot more information in there about decoding. Awesome, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.